Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This week's guest is René Slegers, head coach at FC Rosengård in the Damalsvenskan. Slegers is not only a football coach, but also a former professional footballer herself. Back home in the Netherlands, she played at Wilhelm Twi before moving to Sweden to play in the Damalsvenskan. Playing in the Swedish top flight, she has represented Djurgårdens IF and Linköping FC. With the latter, she won the league title in 2016 before retiring. By then, she had also earned 55 caps with the Netherlands senior national team. Slegers went on to coaching and has been in charge of the Swedish youth national team U23, such as Swedish club Limham Bunkeflo and now FC Rosengård. In this episode, she talks about growing up in the Netherlands, how she looks at herself as a coach and what football she aims for a team to play. You are listening to Their Pitch and this is the René Slegech episode. Hello and welcome to their pitch. Today we're here with FC Rosengård coach René Slegers. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. It's a bit cold where I'm at, so maybe you can tell us where you're at right now. Spain. Spain. Marbella. We're on a training camp. So uh, I, I'm not complaining about the weather at least. Otherwise, I'm Dutch, so I like to complain about other stuff. But uh, the weather is fine. In that way, maybe Swedish and Dutch people are similar. They like to complain about the weather. We find each other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Renia, give me a crash course on how to pronounce your full name, please. I say René Slegers. That's how I always pronounced it in my life, as long as I was living in the Netherlands. Um, yeah. I can't really change it, so I still say it. And when I have to go and uh, buy or I buy food, and, and they ask, uh, they ask me my name. So when I have to have to come and pick it up, I usually say another name because no one can write this name down when I say it in my way. So I just find another name. What do you have a specific name that you use? I know often it's Maya, my partner. Sometimes I go crazy and do something else. It's fun. Yeah. I, I agree. I've had, um, when I moved to the US, which is to me completely, you're going to think I'm crazy or that the other people are crazy, but I had people actually ask me, how do you spell your name? I'd say I have a pretty easy name being Amanda. I think that's Amanda pretty easy. Quite global, right? Universal name, I would say. You would think. Yeah. Hmm. But not where I ended up. So yeah, it is what it is. Difficult names on both of us, apparently. Yeah, yeah. 
But if that's the most complicated thing in our lives, then yeah, I think we're okay. That's true. That's some wise words. Oh, already, I gave all my wisdoms away. <laughs> nothing to give. And Ania, we do have a quote from somebody who knows you very well, and you're going to have to guess who it is. Um, so I will read it to you, and then you can guess. And it goes. Uh, Renia was a player I liked to have in front of me when we played in Lin Shopping together. She always wanted the ball and was incredibly skilled. She also had a high work capacity and was really good at positioning herself. And that's part of what made her reliable also in the defensive, which in my opinion made her complete as a player. She knows the game and is liked as a person, so it doesn't surprise me that she's a coach today. We're now competitors, both having retired but with different roles on the side of the pitch. But of course, even if we're in different clubs now, I want her to succeed. Who do you think that could be? Ooh, so someone I play with in Linköping, someone who's retired, someone who's still working. I am guessing then in Damasenskan. Maybe I'm guessing then Linköping. Uh, okay, um, I'll start my first guess. Is it Lotta Rulin? Yeah, that's... Uh... That's actually correct. That's a good guess. Ah, so fun to hear. Yeah. Have you guys been in contact much after your playing years or was this a complete surprise? No, not so much. But um, uh, sometimes I, I have some time to visit Lean Shipping or when we play against them. We, uh, I think last time we had a coffee on the stands. I don't know why. It was a day after or something. So we, we, had, a, we had, had a nice little chat. So it was really nice to catch up. Yeah. But uh, otherwise, we are not in, in touch that much. So then it's nice to hear that person say some nice things about you, no? Yeah, it's fun to hear. A lot that was uh, nice to play with as well. We didn't play together for such a long time, I think. She retired while well. I was playing there. She ended her career, I think. Uh, but um, yeah, ah, it's really nice to hear. Yeah, brings up some memories. Um, speaking about playing career, you had you had a long one representing, you know, different clubs and also the national team. Um, how come you 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 decided to take your footballing career to to Sweden? I played in the in the Netherlands. I was in um, I played with boys until I was seventeen, and I really liked that, especially until I was fifteen, sixteen. Um, but then the boys started to grow really fast, and it got really physical. Um, so the last year was tough, but I it still wasn't an important uh, year for me and my development to still. Um, uh, play those games with and against boys. So I really had to use my technique in a fast way uh, because they were so physical and fast. So, and then I moved to uh, Arsenal one year, Arsenal Academy. Uh, and then they started um, a professional league in the Netherlands. There was no professional league until then. And then I um, started to play in Willem II um, in that at highest league and there was not so many teams they were I think we were only six or eight teams in the league and then after three three and a half years I played so many times against the same teams and the same players I wanted to uh, to take the next step and develop uh, um, I was in the first national team as well but struggled a little bit with how can I get the most out of myself I think uh, first when I was 23 I started to find my identity as a player. So until then I was struggling a lot uh, and I felt I have to get out of my comfort zone, go somewhere else and see if I can develop somewhere else. And then the Swedish league was one of the top leagues in, um, 
in Europe. I think I came to Stockholm Jogod in 2011. Um, and together with the Bundesliga, the strongest league in Europe. So uh, that's why I took the step. And at some other player, Kirsten van der Ven, she was playing in Thuresa and uh, visited her in um, Stockholm and went on a trial actually with Jogodden and uh, got a contract. Yeah, and and you you did mention you know playing these same teams after a couple of years. Did it ever get boring like playing those teams, or did you get tired of it? Was that part of making the decision, or was it also that you wanted a tougher challenge? Yeah, no, I never I never got bored of playing football, so I never got tired of it. Uh, but it was um, uh, I felt it was about my development. I felt like if I want to make the next step, uh, I have to get away from here, do something else. And see if I can find a more challenging environment. And uh, uh, making the step to Sweden, it, uh, there was top players, uh, but also the way of training. There was more sessions, and there was strength training, which we hardly did in in the Netherlands. So also wanted to become stronger uh, physically. So there, there was another culture, I think, coming to Sweden. So, so um, and actually uh, took quite some steps, even though I got injured in my first year and you got him but um it was a it's been a good time for me coming to sweden and then you left your garden and you went straight to lynch shopping yeah i left your garden so i uh we uh, relegated from the league in 2012 with you garden and then um i was on my on my way back to the netherlands had some uh, contacts with clubs there so i packed my bag and uh, was at home for christmas and brought all my stuff back to the netherlands and then uh, Martin Fagen called me, I think, yeah, it was around Christmas and said he was building something in Linköping and he wanted me to be a part of it. And then uh, I took all my stuff again and I went back to Sweden. How was it to, were you, did you like almost sign with the club in, in the Netherlands or was it like a quick change of directions for you? No, I hadn't signed anything yet. I was just in uh, in contact with, I think, two or three clubs, but uh, nothing, nothing. We didn't get so far yet. So when he called, I was really happy and um, uh, I wanted to stay in Sweden. So I wasn't I wasn't done yet. I, I didn't want to go back to the Dutch league. So I was really happy when I got the call. And you guys won uh, won the league title, SM Guld, as we say in Sweden. Yeah. How 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 was that experience as a player? Um, yeah, fantastic. Um, we uh, I came 2012 to uh, no 2013 to Linköping and we won SM Guld 2016. So I had been there. It was the fourth season, and uh, many players came new to the team 2013. Uh, and I think Martin and Anders, they built a, a really interesting squad with a lot of young players with a lot of determination. I think I, I have, I have never asked them what was their way of building the, the team, but I, I'm quite sure that um, I, I think determination and players and personalities was one of the characteristics they were looking for. There was so much ambition, uh, young players with a lot of ambition. So. Maglen Eriksson, Jonna Andersson, uh, Fridolina Rolf, uh, Penilla Harder had just uh, come before that. Stina Blackstenius, there was a lot. Uh, Emilia Larsson, that is in my team now. So, uh, so there was uh, a lot of uh, ambition, uh, young players with a lot of talent. So I think, um, and then, yeah, it took us four years, but then in the fourth year, we, we won the league. And you're mentioning some players, you know, Fridolina Rolf, uh, th- those people make 
the world class teams right now, and they were raised in in kind of like in the Lin Shopping football philosophy. Is that something that you've kind of like? Are you thinking anything about maybe the philosophy that you had there now? Are you taking that with you as a coach at all? Uh, um, I think. Uh, Uh, a big part of it. I don't know how much philosophy made us made so many players go go far. I think more the philosophy of recruitment, like I'm saying, like what players did we bring in? Um, <clears throat> this de- determination created a really good training environment with players that just wanted to become better every day. Um, but what I'm bringing with me, yeah, that's one of the things, like how to build a team. Um, what do you want in a team? Um, and and I've I think Martin and Anders for me have been the first coaches that made me understand uh, the whole picture of football. So not just my role on the pitch or, or uh, you can play um, uh, this pass forward or you can take your touch like this. Or, uh, But they really made me understand the consequences of actions. So um, that's what I learned a lot from them. And and if we, if we, if we look a little bit just at... Um... At the national team, how was that for you to represent the Netherlands? Uh, special. Um, I've I was a, a, a little kid and I only saw the men's national team. I didn't know if there was a women's national team. I have a really bad memory, but I can remember we had a, a little low wall um, outside in the garden that was only maybe thirty uh, uh, centimeters, and I was there kicking always against that wall. And I always said to myself, if I can do this. 200 times right left foot without mistakes, then maybe I'll make it to the national team one day. But I don't know if there is a national team, but who knows? And then I'll, I might make it. So I was always trying to set goals and, and find ways to, to motivate myself. So um, uh, no, but uh, getting there to the national team is, is really special. And uh, I've felt a little bit of the, the steps that the Dutch national team has taken during uh These last maybe 15 years. Um, when I started, we played games in uh, on pitches that didn't even have stands, and there was no one, just our parents. And then, um, how how long did I play in the national team? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, so six, seven years later, my last game, for example, I hurt my knee in the last uh, game of 2016. We play in a big stadium against England with a lot of people and with a lot of interest, and then. Uh, um, The Euros in the Netherlands, 2017. I was I was injured, but that was the real um, turning point for how big it became in in the Netherlands. But yeah, it's been special uh, playing for for your country. On the other side, if we talk uh, politics, I think boundaries are an interesting thing to to discuss. So, what are boundaries and why are there boundaries? But uh, you feel like you are part of something. Um, something special so it's uh, no it's it's always been an honor and fun to play for the national team hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com um 
Um, how how was it for you when when you had to end your football career? And did you always know that you were going to become a coach? Uh, no, <clears throat> not at all. I never knew that. Um, I never wanted that. So I um, I studied communication information sciences in the Netherlands. I wanted to become a journalist. I really liked language and writing, how you can express things. Um, so that was my ambition and I thought I'm never going to be a full-time football player so that's what I'm going to have to do on the side and after um, and then I um, went to Lynch shipping did my master's in applied ethics or so practical philosophy and that's when I did my um, uh, study on uh, something in sports so I, I I knew I wanted to be in sports somehow that's where I I was was heading, but I never thought I was going to be a coach. I thought I was going to do something around the sport, uh, something totally different. But uh, here I am. So uh, it's my it took a turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here you are, and two SM girls later. What what you know back to back. What what does it take to win? Just to add, I also relegated from the league as a coach. So I've been uh, been through a lot of things in the. A short time, but um, uh, what does it? Uh, what do you need to win? Ah, it's uh, many things. It's oh, yeah, it's a big question. You need really good players. <laughs> you need a good structure around the team. Uh, I think what we what we um, a factor for us is also the 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 culture of the club in in Rosengård. It's uh, yeah, they say it's it's something in the walls. Uh, it's hard to describe, but there is something in the walls. Um, you have to uh, you have to have a really good training culture. Uh, you can never relax. You have to you have to get better all the time. You have to be sharp all the time. Um, you have to focus on on development, getting better every day, but also be really um, cynical and how can we get this win over the line and. <clears throat> I think, yeah, finding that combination, and I still haven't found find the, the the perfect balance. But yeah, that's some of many things that you need to become a champion. It's a uh, it's a big it's a big cocktail of many things that have to uh, go the right way, and then um, you have some some luck and some good things on the way. But there's also always bad luck. So I mean, it's always going to even out. I think we had maybe. We had a lot of challenges on the way and how we bounced back from the, these challenges and how we just kept on thinking forward and finding solutions. I think us in the, in the, in the staff, but also the players. So, okay, Vitra, they score early in the game. We just played the playoffs against Bram. We went to Champions League and then we have, uh, or it was between the playoffs and then we have Vitra in between those games. They, they score an early goal, Pang, how can we come back from that? In the end, we win the game in the last minute uh, from a corner. So it, it is, you need resilience, you need belief all the way through. And it's in sm- in the small things in training, it's in the games that you can, that you believe that you can score a goal in the last minute, but it's also over a season. Do we have the belief? And uh, yeah, that is created by many, many things by clarity by finding room for creativity it's by yeah many many things uh this is a very uh (laughs) crazy answer i think on the question i don't know if there's anything you would like to 
dig deeper into. No, but I, th- I think it makes sense, you know, having having a winner mentality in the group and knowing how to work forward on that. And I think you described that pretty well. Yeah, and that's... Um, yeah, I think so. So there's, there's a lot of psychology involved. You need really good players. You need to have an... Um, uh, a way we so we we think the same way about playing football and winning games how we're going to do that uh, but there's a lot of psychology in it as well so how does the group function and how can we how can we be balanced or uh, in control in our brains whatever scenario and keep on finding solutions so and i think we made big steps actually last year as a as a team um in this, especially bouncing back, that's one of the things the team said we want to be good at um, in the in the beginning of season, and I think we showed that during the season. And and you guys, you you brought in a couple of players for for this season, and some people have uh, some players have have left you. Uh, what can you say about you know how did these the, these players that you've brought in? How did they complete the squad? Uh, I'm actually really uh, happy with the squad that we that we have now. Uh, also, what I said about the lean shipping and personalities and de- determination in a squad, hunger, a will for more, will for development. That's all these things we have right now in the squad. Um, the three players coming in, they bring, um, if we start with uh, Isabella, she's, um, she's a skillful defender, played in Kage, and um, I think she'll fit really well in our way of playing. We want to be as much as we can on the half of the opponent. She's skillful, um, finds good solutions forward. She is, uh, she has the Danish background of being a little bit more man mark oriented. Um, and that's something we want to develop. Uh, so she's, um, she's a good add to the squad. And then we have, um, Emilia Larson, who is an aggressive player, an intense player. She's a good pressing player, good, um, recovery player. And she's always also good in the one v ones. And we really want to add that because, um, we play a passing game, but we also want to play a passing game to get players into positions where we can take on the 1v1s and be a little bit more unpredictable. And I think she she's really going to add that. And then we brought in um, Emma Janssen, and she's, um, she's a, a player with a lot of experience. Actually scored a lot of goals from different positions in her uh, former teams. Um, she's a leader. She has leadership in her. She's an intelligent player. And she's uh, versatile, so she's uh, we can use her in in, in different ways. So uh, yeah, that's the the things we wanted to get in. So it's uh, they're gonna give they're gonna stimulate our group in their way. How is it to go from from teammate to coach, especially for example with with Emilia Larson, who who you used to play with? Yeah, same with Jessica Vick. So that's two players now in the squad that I played with. Um, uh, for me, it's. Uh, uh, for me, it's nothing uh, big. It's uh, natural. Um, I think it's. Um, I don't. I don't think so much about. Oh, I'm the coach and as the player. Um, I just want to work together with them. And I, I. I know I'm the coach and I'm making the decisions and I'm trying to help them. But uh, I think I. I, I want to work together with them. So I. For me, it's not uh, no biggie. It's. Uh, I m- maybe on the. Um, uh, beforehand, I, I was thinking about how, what would that be like to become the coach of a player that I played with. Uh, but uh, actually, when 
when they in come when it becomes reality i think it's uh, it goes really natural so it's uh, nothing i'm thinking about really another thing that you've experienced so far is that you you led uh, fc dawson go to their first group stage in champions league how 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 was how was that champions league experience for you guys and what did you learn from that run because you guys did play against Bayern Munich, Benfica and Barcelona mm -hmm. yeah it was a, the, almost the toughest draw you could get maybe but uh, there's uh, I think there's so many good teams right now and women's football goes so fast so um, we were really excited we were so happy we, we got there where we wanted to be um, now we've uh, played the six games uh, zero points so it's a disappointment it's um but we we tried to find the the right or we it took a while for us to find the right um the just the fair analysis of what we did um and we had to have some distance to it to to see what what we did and what happened um because you know what it's like there's a lot of feelings and and it's no excuse, but it was the end of season. So it was a special situation to go into such a big tournament when there is some mental and physical fatigue and there is some, like, you know what it's like that get, you can get some friction in group dynamics in the end of seasons. You're mentally tired. So you have a harder time handling thoughts and feelings, focusing on, on the right things. So, um, but, uh, now we, with some distance, um, yeah, still the disappointment and still uh, we think we should have done better, could have done better. But there's also a reality of European top teams becoming really good, really fast. Yeah. So how can we, how are we in Sweden going to relate to that reality? Yeah. Do, do you think it's a disadvantage for the fact that, you know, it's Champions League is at the end of your season and the beginning of others? Yeah, definitely. So, um, and that's, we were never going to know, but what would be look like if we are fresh and also if we have the, the strongest team on the pitch that we could get, we had some players away with, uh, with injuries. So, um, yeah, no, but definitely I, I am uh, one of those that thinks that we should uh, play the Swedish league like we do in, um, Europe. To give to not for ourselves, not from an ego perspective or Rosengolf perspective, or, but for Swedish football, I think to give ourselves a, a, a better chance to compete in Europe. Yeah. If we if we shift focus a little bit to the future, how, what do you think the future looks like for? I mean, Swedish clubs. Let's just say, like out in Europe, for example. Uh, we'll see if it only will be Champions League or uh, in the near future we'll have a Euro Europa League maybe. Um, so, yeah, but the, the Swedish teams should be should still be competing in in Europe. But I think we're maybe going somewhere in the direction of where the Swedish men's football is. Um, but but hopefully we can slow that process down as much as we can. Can you can you see some similarities also with like the Dutch league on the men's side of it kind of becoming a developmental league and then selling the players to bigger clubs? Yeah, and that's what we already see. So the the landscape has changed a lot. Uh, we also see that players that before maybe made the step via Damals Henskan and then towards the big leagues in Europe, they make the step directly to the big leagues in Europe. Uh, we see more and more the 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 big teams in in England, for example. They see talents, they contract them, and they go on loan. 
Um, so the, the market has changed quite a lot. So it's already happening, I think. Uh, but yeah, maybe it's, <clears throat> that's a big strategic question, but where, what will be, uh, our role, <laughs> Sweden's role in the, in this landscape? Uh, yeah, maybe we should be more focused on that developing and maybe accept that we are going to be selling to, to the big teams or the big countries. And another future aspect that I want to touch on a little bit is, um, I want to ask where, where do you say that you would see yourself in the future? Um, let's say in five years, do you, do you still picture yourself in Dalmar Svenskan or another league or where? What do you dream of? Um, uh, if 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 I'm honest, what I'm dreaming of another life doing something else as well. <laughs> That's true. I'm in this now, and I go all in, <laughs> and I I get I I can't put my mind almost on other things than than football and the team and what we have to do. Uh, so I'm I'm a maniac, but. Um, I'm also wondering: Am I gonna? Am I gonna do this for forever? Am I gonna do this for many years, or uh, do I want to do something else in life? So it's yeah. Um, but I want if if we stay in football, I for me, uh, I want to um, to work in an environment where I uh, uh, where I like to be and. Uh, and that's not only, but oh, it's a, it's a nice. There are nice people, and I'm having a good time. I I also have this in me that I want to see how how far can we get. So uh, yeah, the dream is to work with the best players. Would that mean? Would that also include perhaps maybe in the future coaching a certain national team, maybe the Netherlands in the future? Uh, that will be an uh, honor. Um, but it's a totally different job, I think, to be a national team coach from being a club coach. And I love being a club coach, uh, right now. Um, I still have so much energy and, uh, I don't know. Hopefully it never will never disappear, but I really want to be with the team, with players, with staff on the pitch every day. Uh, uh I'm learning so much still. And um, this is what I want to do now. But maybe in the future, I would think it's interesting to become a national team coach. Yeah. Yeah. That being said, we're going to move on to the football analysis part. I actually have a question that will touch a little bit on Amanda's part as well that I've been thinking about a lot lately and, and especially during this season of uh, the last season of the Damansenskan. And that's about resources. Uh, as a coach to be a, because we talk a lot about resources and facilities and tools uh, for players uh, to play a hundred, a hundred percent of their abilities and to not get injured and to just feel good and to be able to, to play football full time. But the fact is that if people, if we're going to be realistic about this, then being a coach, uh, with, with, I mean, small resources, that's also more than a full time job. So what is your take on that as a coach? Because to me, what I see is coaches in the Dalmatians can at the moment that 
that they they plan the training ses- sessions, they evaluate the training sessions, they they have to speak to players um, about everything in life. Uh, you have to do analysis of uh, your opponents, you have to do post-match analysis, you have to have individual development of players and, and stuff like that. And that, to me, is, seems like a hard thing. What's your take on that? That was a long question, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think it's an interesting question um, because when I was in uh, LB Nolku, there was nothing the nothing and we had yeah we had uh, uh, I had an assistant coach uh, who was not full time and then there was a uh, a guy uh, that did some massage on the players sometimes after trainings a couple of days a week and then there was uh, the kit manager that did the laundry he was there every day uh, but that was it that was all the people working around the team so that's when I had to do everything myself and all these things, like you're saying, where I, from planning training, um, doing, setting it up, uh, organizing it, coaching it, analyzing it, uh, on a collective basis, on an individual basis, do all the planning, all the season planning, do all the communication with players, with other teams, like everything. Um, and that's when you see the, I think the quality of what you're doing becomes, um, it gets harmed. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't spot on on everything I was doing. Um, but if you, everything is re- uh, relative because now I'm in Rosengård and Rosengård is making steps all the time, trying to to um, also give the coaching team uh, better and better resources to be able to to make the players as good as possible. Just the thing that we talked about today, we have a physical coach now full-time on the team. And it makes such a difference for us that he does all this, the the planning, the preparing, the um, um, analyzing uh, from a physical perspective in our periodization and in our um, games and training. So it, it gives us so much more space to focus on the actual football and leadership. So we are, I think the, the way we work now in the staff is, is, uh, is really good. I am the head coach then and there's two full-time assistant coaches. And then we have a full-time goalkeeper coach and then we have a full-time physical coach. So we have five in the technical staff that are full-time. So we can really split our, um, the jobs that we have to do. Like for example, now on the, training camp i'm sitting in individual meetings with all players i'm presenting the the way we want to play 2023 for the players um but because i have a lot of those things to do uh, the management the, the two assistant coaches and tim the physical coach they have been preparing the sessions in detail so we talked about this is what we want the week to look like these things teams you want to train on um, I want these kinds of exercises with these kinds of um, skills and decision makings. And then they plan the details of the session and it's been working perfectly. So it's um, it's a big step from LB to be five people now doing things together. And um, uh, But if you then compare to FC Barcelona, they have 20 full-time people working around the team. So that's that's the next step. And then it's an interesting question, how many people are you able to manage or how can we, how can you find the exact right number 
to uh, uh, to stay effective and to to make sure that everyone has a clear role and uh, can add to the team. Yeah, it, it's it's a, just an interesting thing because we always ask players uh, this question, you know, about resources, resources and and stuff. And I think it's it's interesting for people to get to know what the uh, the now best team in Sweden uh, in the top flight, uh, what you have uh, in resources. Mm-hmm. So, but let's dive into to the coaching uh, more uh, in detail. Um, what kind of a coach are you? I want to have a, a relationship with the players. Um, I want to uh, to be clear in what we want to do. I want to be honest. In that, I'm quite direct in my in my feedback and, and what I want, uh, and I want to do things together. So how we work in the staff, for example, I have no issues with um, the other coaches uh, being uh, leading in some parts of what we do. So that's for me. There's uh, that's. I want I want us to succeed. So I I really want to do things together. I really like when when um someone else in the staff does something really well, has planned something and does something and it goes really well. So that just makes me happy. Um I also know that when you hear different voices or different people or the settings are different, the learning will probably be better for the players as well. And um no, so I really like this of doing things together. Also with the players. The fact is that you you also have been playing in the Dalmatian, so you know the Swedish way of playing football quite well, I would guess. But what do you think you need to know uh, about Swedish football to be a good coach and and su- a successful one in every game you play uh, in Sweden? I think it's mostly about how uh, about Swedish culture and sp- Swedish sports culture. Um, because I think um, the involving players in things and they they have a, a strong voice and they and they express what they what they see and what they perceive. I think that's something you have to know uh, before you start working in Sweden because um, otherwise you can feel as a coach maybe oh I'm used to I'm just telling them this and they do that and there's no no, no questions. The, but the players in Sweden, they are gonna, they want to be involved and they're going to ask you questions and they're going to have input in things. And I think you have to be ready for that. And you, um, yeah, you, but I think that's changing uh, in the whole world about leadership, how you, how you can create more motive, uh, environments where motivation gets higher and ownership gets higher and you become better. Um, but I think that's that's mostly the the part that you have to to know and be prepared of. That there's a, there's a different culture. Things you need to do things together. Everyone has to be involved. Everyone has a voice. The uh, little democracy and listen and uh, so that's uh, and I like that. That's that's also my philosophy. So I I uh, I really like that way. But if you're not used to it, then I think it's good to to know before you come to Sweden. Um. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, about how the football is played, it's. Uh, I think this more and more modern football and uh, variation in the way we the teams play. 
So I think that's quite uh, European or global. Uh, but uh, the fact of doing things together, that every we do things together on the pitch. It's less built on someone does something uh, on their own, but it's we do things together. And, and speaking of that then, do you, how how do you think a coach can get the absolute best uh, out of a squad and the abilities of all the players? Because you, we we can see this happening right now around Europe that that the discussion is about you have big squads uh, in the top teams and Rosengård is also a top team, um, so you can get many good players because it you're attractive as a club and people want to play there, but, but you can't have like 25 players because they are not going to play all the time. So how do you use your squad uh, in the best way? Yeah, we had 26 players last year. And um, it's the balance of... Uh, because I'm from the start, I'm a coach that likes consistency. So really build strong relationships and build a consistency in the, in the, in our play and, and build from there. So you can get into details, but I'm also learning that, um, if I am better as a coach and we have a clearer way of play and everybody knows their role, then the, the demand on me is that more players can play their role and we can do it with whoever is on the pitch. So, but there's different. Um, but I made up uh, factors in that. So you have to build a squad that you believe in, where the, we believe that all players can do it. And then it's, the, it, there's a bigger demand on the coaching and the, the, uh, learning the style of play and, and, um, the trust and keeping players involved. So that's also something that I'm learning because, um, I think if if I'm right in the statistics, we used 29 players during the season in Damas Svenskan, and we are we used the most of all the teams. Um, not everyone started, but they all got minutes in uh, in Damas Svenskan. So we we used a lot of players, um, but uh, and still the feedback that you get on the end of season, and also what I feel bad about is that I wish I could give more playing time. To, to this, I should, I should have given more to this player. And so that's always the, the hardest thing about being a coach. You want, you wish for everyone to play and then you have a squad and you can only pick 11 to start. But I think we also should go from, um, we do things together more than because the, it's also about the language you use. Oh, I'm on the bench. Oh, she doesn't pick me or, um, can we go from, yeah, but we are together and we are on game day and we are in, in Sweden. It can be 18 players. We are 18 players. We're going to do the job today. And some players are going to start doing the job and some players are going to finish the job. I think in Petri Arsson talks about start Elva, Slut Elva, but somewhere there. And it's also, um, interesting to see, but how do we want to, how do we want to play our games? Um, we also looked at when do we score the most? Goals, yeah, I think it's uh, general for football in the end of the first half and the end of the second half, the most goals are scored. Yeah, can we then, it's also a strategy to have your strongest goal scorers on the pitch very fresh in the last part of the game, for example. So you can, you can think in different ways. Um, so I think we have to try to get away from that norm of, uh, I'm starting. Oh, I'm on the bench. 
know, uh, can we can we do things together? And uh, and I think we can learn learn from other sports where there's more rotation systems. So then it's easier to think like that. But can we can we change that mindset a little bit? Yeah, for sure. That's a very interesting uh, thing to think think about. Uh, if if uh, a person hasn't seen uh, René Slegic uh, coach the team play football, um, what can they expect if they go to look at a team that you coach? Uh, now I'm telling you what I wish for my team to do. We don't always succeed, but what I wish <laughs> is that we are spend a lot of time on the opponent's half. Um, so we want to uh, I want my team to choke the opponent and that sounds really harsh, but we want to, to keep on coming on them. So, so until the end, they don't have any, any, um, oxygen anymore. Uh, and that's, that's also what we say. We are best when we are in the final third and we can keep on going in the final third. We just have to find ways and strategies to get into that final third. And sometimes we use numbers and positioning to play through down the grass to get into the final third. And sometimes we are a little bit more cynical because we see there's a space and we can play the, the faster ball in the chip in or the longer ball in, and then we control it. And then from there, we, we take ourselves into the final third. But I want, I want you to see that my team wants to be in the final third and wants to, to frame the goal. We want to be around the goal. <laughs> if we lose it, we want to win it back again. And if we if we succeed in something, you see we are a team. You see the the nonverbal behaviors. You see the high fives. You see us co communicating. You see us go again. You see us supporting each other. So you see a team that wants to be in the final third that is trying to take all the oxygen until the opponent cannot do anything anymore. Speaking of uh, the way of playing football, um, which tactical aspect do you feel? yourself that you have grown or learned the most about since you started coaching compared to playing at the whole game so that's not like uh, one uh, specific phase of the game but but more how is everything connected to, to each other how is everything is a part of something else and everything goes into the next thing and what you what we do here will mean something for when this or this or this would happen so everything is connected to each other so if I position myself here and I get the ball um, uh, in front of me and I try, then it means something for our positioning on the pitch when we lose it, for example. So everything is connected. Um, and it's also something we talk about more and more with the players now as well. But what is, what is my information to you? What is my message to you? If I play you this pass, what am I telling you? Um, so can we already think what's the next step for you? So we're not just giving each other things and you solve it and then we'll see. No, I already, I already know what, what your next step is. So I'll play the pass this hard or I'll play it on your left foot or I'll play it in front of you or I tell you directly you should bounce it back to me because then I have a new angle to play for it. So, um, that's, I think what I didn't really get as a player. So how everything is connected how everything is already the next step almost. And that's not something I understood when I was still playing, I think. We're going to co continue on the, you know, the game thing here, because how much in your work do you use football data or statistics to improve your team? Um, uh, we do use it. 
Uh, we use Instat, for example, um, to see statistics from our games. But also I'm looking at statistics from teams that we look at, perfect examples, the teams that we use as inspiration. Um, what do they look like in the statistics? What do they do? So that's something um, we use. Um, we use it um, in uh, games, in halftime. So we have someone coding the games and we have someone uh, feedbacking us. So the second, the, the one of the assistants, she feedbacks us in, in the break. This is what it looked like statistically. Uh, and that's then things that we think are important for our way of play and for our way to succeed and win the game. Um, and now, but now this year we have um, an even clearer vision of what do we need and what do we want to go for every game statistically to uh, to have higher chances or higher tendency to win the game. And that's uh, the percentage of possession, the amount of shots on target. Uh, they have expected goals and the actual goals we score. So we have uh, something we want to um, go for every game, uh, an, uh, a number. And then we're going to evaluate and then we'll show the players like this is what we wanted to go for and this is what we actually did. So we use that um, because I think we, and, and we are never done with that, but can we pinpoint those things of the game, those statistics that are in our way of playing important to, to succeed with in a game, which will hopefully then also win, bring us wins. Then the last question for me, apart from winning a game, what makes you satisfied with your team's performance when going off the pitch? Yeah. When we play the way I just uh, said, can we, can we, be that team uh, spending a lot of time in the offensive half and I, I would be very happy that if that the crowd has seen a team that works together when they see that we are connected and we we always support each other on the pitch we work really hard and and um, I think somewhere yeah that, that will make the crowd proud and uh, so can we play this game being on offensive half, can we can we be a team and can we work really, really hard? That's a great way to end this section and jump into the the listeners' questions. Derek Bert wants to know how was it to play with Pernilla Harder? Um yeah, fantastic. Uh, it was maybe even more impressive to train with Pernilla Harder because she's um she's such a yeah, she's a competitor, so that's what, what you felt in games, but the way she was determined to become uh, better every day, the way she uh, concentrated and she was concentrated in everything we did in training, the way she took help from uh, experts around that could help her make become better, the way she analyzed, evaluated herself, uh, that was um, that was very inspiring, and I think I've never seen something similar um, around me. She's outstanding. She's outstanding. So it's uh, and then of course it was it was fun to play with her. Um, definitely. This next question you have answered to parts of uh, in the part with Amanda, but I'm let, let's see if we fi find something more into this because Michael McCann uh, asked this question: 
Do you think your Champions League campaign is a part of a wider trend in recent years that it's it's becoming increasingly tough for Scandinavian uh, Scandinavian teams to achieve European success because of the big amounts of money being put into the women's game by clubs with big histories on the men's side? Yeah, <laughs> but uh, so I think that's uh, happening. That's that's facts. But I don't. I want to take responsibility also for the performances we did in uh, in Europe. I think we should have done better as well. So, but I think um, I think it's somewhere where we're heading. But I still think we can we can do better than what we did this year so we can we can compete in a, in a better way i think still right now he he also says this that if you agree uh which i think you did uh how concerning do you think that is for the future of scandinavian club football um i don't think uh concerning but i think we should we should be on the front foot of thinking what should sweden do what should we do to to have a important part still in um, european women's football so what's uh, how do we educate our players how do we build our clubs what is our strategy um so i think we should be on the front foot we should be thinking uh, more steps ahead maybe um but i don't think concern i think it's some somewhere yeah <laughs> evolution <laughs> it's a uh, Things are things change, but um, don't accept it to go too fast, and be on the front foot of who can we be in this, and how can we still uh, become better. Um, Monster, we wants to know how did you feel about playing at Camp Nou in December? Yeah, there's so much uh, history in Camp Nou. It's uh, it's such a special place. I had never been there, so I've never been at the stadium, never seen any games there. So it's um for me as a uh, coming from the Netherlands Johan Cruyff and his influence on uh, Barcelona football and everything that was built there and I was reading a book uh, Simon Cooper uh, wrote a very interesting book about Barcelona and uh, it was very impressive but the the fact that you're there and coaching a game that's <laughs> You're just coaching the game like every other g- game. Um, so that was a, yeah, you're doing your job, but uh, it's more the memory of it, maybe, or now the thought of, yeah, we were, we were there and did this. Uh, that's very special, yeah. And I was thinking while you answered that, I said, because I remember after the game in the press conference, you did talk about the impact that, that Cruyff has had on you and growing up watching him. So I was sitting here now waiting for you to answer that. And I said, and I was saying to myself, if she doesn't bring him up, I will have to make her bring him up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Monster, we also wants to know, should attendance numbers slash records still be news? Yeah, it's actually a good question. I think about that sometimes. But why is this? Why is this in the news again? You get double feelings because you become happy reading it. And I think it's it attracts for people to go and watch. It's like, okay, something uh, special is happening or something big is happening. I will also want to go. So I think it's positive. On the other hand, you wish that uh, yeah, but there shouldn't be um, there shouldn't be a difference. So it shouldn't be a, a big deal. So 
Uh, yeah, I, I, it's double feeling. So it's uh, it's actually a very nice question. What do you think? I think it depends on the situation. I don't think that every single league game now should be, oh, this is the record. It depends. Like, I think looking at the records, I think we have a record and that's the one that's 96,000 something in, in Barcelona. And I think if somebody beats that, I think that should be a record. I think that's when people should start talking about it. But at the same time, I'm kind of a little bit on the edge because the number in Sweden is at like 18,000 something. So you obviously would want that to go up and that would be a thing that, okay, well now there are 23 people, 23,000 people, you know, instead of 18,000. And that would be the news. So I'm also kind of like on the edge, like, I don't know how how I would value that. I would say mm-hmm. Mia probably doesn't agree with me, but because I can see her face. <laughs> no, I do agree with you, but I do think that we need to start to pay attention to the football that is being played as well uh, as the numbers and records because the quality in the Damalsvenska and also I would say uh, and across Europe and in the world in the women's game now is is so good and so much better than it was back. So I do think we, we can't get stuck on numbers and records. We have to talk about the football as well because that will help the numbers to grow uh, i think with that being said we're going to move on to the end section which is the five questions this or that is the last part i'm going to give you two options you can only choose one and yeah i wish you luck no explanation yeah thank you let's go (laughs) a a one zero win where the game plan has been completely executed or a five zero win where the game plan hasn't been followed at all one zero. On a day off, would you rather watch football or just Netflix and chill? Depends on when in the season, if I'm tired of football yet or not, but uh, watch football. 4-4-2 or 4-3-3? 4-3-3. In the future, coach club or country? Club. The Netherlands or Sweden? <laughs> hey, that's not fair. Huh? My passport is uh, Dutch, Netherlands, but um, it's uh, 51-49. All right. With that being said, Renia, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 